It's been a very long time, but uh, it's not because I haven't been invited. It's just because I'm never here. So Kurt has asked me several times if I'd be available to preach, and each time I've had to say, no, I'm in Africa somewhere, and I've not been able to do it. So it's been about 15 or 16 months since I've been able to share the word with you. Uh, So today we are looking at Hosea 6. It's been a passage that's been on my mind for quite a while for some reason to preach. And so I'm going to ask you to either follow along in a pew Bible, a Bible that you have, your phone or whatever, or perhaps you just want to follow along on page 3 because the entire text is written out for you on page 3 from Hosea chapter 6, page 754 in your pew Bible if you want. Hosea 6, 1 through 6. This is apparently the Israelites speaking as the prophet Hosea records. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Let us pray. Father, by your Spirit, these words have been passed down to us. And though we did not ever speak them, Israel spoke them. They could easily be said by us. They could be our own sentiment. We pray, Lord, that you would now Speak to us through your spirit, though it be through me right now, but I pray that you would teach us and that you would impress upon us exactly what you want us to hear. Make this your time to deal with us, to deal with our hearts, and exalt your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I expect all of you have seen those yellow and black paperback books in bookstores or in your own own homes uh, that say such and such for dummies. Uh, You know, the first one was back in 1991. DOS for dummies. And, you know, since then there have been about 2,500 titles. And this sermon is now adding to the collection. (laughs) Repentance for dummies. And I don't think that anybody is honestly offended when they see those titles. Because all of us know that some of those, we're dummies when we read that we don't know a thing about the topic. And, and so it's caught on. And so I'm not meaning any insult when I say repentance for dummies. Let's just admit it. There, there actually is a lot we need to know, going back to the basics, about repentance and Israel is pretty ignorant 
when it comes to repentance. You know, when we read these first three verses, it sounds like really good repentance until you get to verse 4. And God says, nonsense. God calls them and says, your repentance is not real. And we really need to catch that because if we stop at verse 3, we totally misunderstand that what we're reading is false repentance. I talked to Carrie about this, and I knew she would not be here today when I preached this because we just sang Carrie's song as Shirley. Now, what Carrie did is she redeemed the passage using other scripture verses and a biblical theology that makes the song one of true repentance. But if it really does just stop there, come, let's return to the Lord, you see that these Israelites don't mean it. So today what we're going to do is we are going to talk about repentance. It's a very very simple outline for you note takers especially. Uh, What we're going to be doing is saying, repentance, what what is it not? Then what is it? And then how do we do it? Where do we get the power to do it? So what is it not? What is it? And how do we do it? And I don't usually use alliteration, but hey, it just happened. Uh, so, so all of my subpoints begin with P. They teach us to do that, and I always rebelled against it, but it just happened. So what is it not? Well, the first, it's not perfunctory. Now, for you younger folk, you might not know what that word means, and you thought you were on summer vacation. Here is a vocabulary word for you, perfunctory. You know what perfunctory means? And a couple of your adults say, I'm supposed to know what that means. Perfunctory is when you just go through the motions and you don't put the effort in that you're supposed to. We all know what that is. It drives us perfectionists crazy. That's when you're told to go clean your room and you just pick up some dirty clothes and you say, I'm done. Or when you're supposed to make the bed and all you do is throw the sheet over the pillow. Or your mom and dad says, go brush your teeth, and you do it for 10 seconds. That's perfunctory. And we can repent in a perfunctory way. So if you learn nothing else now today, you know what perfunctory means. And your parents go, did you clean your room in a perfunctory way? So we can repent in a perfunctory way. Let us return to the Lord. Let's do sacrifice. Let's, Let's come back and let's know him. You know, we repent in our relationships that way. Sometimes, too. Sometimes in in our repentance, we might say to somebody, uh, well, I was wrong. Yeah, I was wrong, but I only did it because you did that. That's not repentance. And we all know that. You made me so mad. Uh, It's really your fault. Or I was tired. I'm under such pressure right now. I wasn't feeling well. That is not repentance. Not in the least. Well, I'm sorry, but you... I won't do that again if you... That's, that's not repentance. And we, we know that, really. Sometimes the word sorry doesn't work, and we all know that, too. And we know that from the time we're children. Say you're sorry. Sorry. Okay, we know that it doesn't work. Have you ever had somebody apologize to you, and you just aren't ready to receive it? Now, it may be your problem. It may be that you're too bitter and that's an issue for you. But sometimes the reason we're not ready to take it is because you know there's nothing really behind it. They just want to get past the issue. And that's what the Israelites want to do. 
Oh, we've sinned. Let's just get past this. Very perfunctory. Let's just do the things we've got to do. You want sacrifice? We'll give you sacrifice. And then we can get back on the good side. We do this, and God will restore us. Perfunctory repentance. It's not repentance. Sometimes people will try to figure out, is it flowers? Is it gifts? Is it sacrifice to the Lord? They might even grovel. Oh, I'm I'm such a horrible person. You know, try to manipulate, try to make the person feel bad until they finally say, oh, enough already. Let's just get past this. This is not repentance. Did you notice that there's no mention of sin in the passage? The Israelites do not say, we have sinned. They simply say, oh, he's wounded us. Okay, let us give him sacrifice and he'll restore us. It never says, we have sinned. We have wronged the Lord. It never says that. So repentance must not be perfunctory. It must also not be presumptuous. Presumptuous. You know what presumptuous uh, repentance looks like? It's probably uh, best summarized in the philosopher Voltaire. Now, I'm no philosopher. But Voltaire said, Pardonnez, c'est son métier. We all know what that means, right? Okay? Forgive? That's his job. It just sounds so much better in French. Okay, forgive, that's God's job. And what's interesting is Voltaire was an atheist. But he, he just got, that's God's job. That's what he does. Forgive, that's his job. I came across this recently. Uh, I have not watched one episode of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. And if you have, I don't want to know. But the, the one that's going on right now, I believe it's still going, uh, there was a big issue because... Uh, the bachelorette, one of the studly guys that she's supposed to choose to be her life's mate that will probably last a few months, um, is a Christian. And the, the whole issue came up of premarital sex. And he basically said, if I'm aware that you've slept with any of these guys, uh, this is a deal breaker. She was outraged. Because she's a committed Christian too, you know. She was outraged. She said, you, you've got no, I mean, G- Jesus still loves me. I've, yes, I do this, but Jesus still loves me. You can't judge me. Jesus still loves me. Is, is she right? She, she, has, she continues to do this. This is fine for her to do, and Jesus still loves her. That's very presumptuous to say, what I do is sin, I will admit it, but Jesus still loves me. That's presumptuous. That's presumptuous. It's not even really repentance. To simply say, I'm aware that what I do is wrong, but Jesus loves me. Jesus continues to forgive me. And there's a lot of warning in Scripture about that. Now, John's epistle is very clear that if you continue in sin, 1 John 3, 6, no one who abides in him continues on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. John is speaking of unrepentant sin. If you continue to do what you know is wrong, then there is no repentance. And you can't claim to be forgiven if you continue to do what you know is wrong and simply say, I'm being forgiven. That's very presumptuous. And this is what the Israelites are doing as well. We, we, we're forgiven. We, we can just, because they have no intention of leaving their idolatry. They're going to continue to do the same thing again and again. Let us return to the Lord. He'll take us back, and then we'll go back to our idols. So if you're doing that with anything in your life, 
If you're saying, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but Jesus still loves me, that's a dangerous road. That's a dangerous road. You are presuming upon repentance. You're presuming upon grace. You don't seem to understand why Jesus had to come and die. You're, you're saying that this, this sin is, is unimportant, and you're scorning the very cross of Christ. So that's presumptive. So you, you can't repent in a perfunctory way. You can't repent in a presumptuous way, saying, I don't even need to ask forgiveness because I have it. Repentance must also not be peripheral. Now, that one might sound kind of strange, and I wrestled with that word a little bit, so that was the only stretching on the alliteration. Peripheral uh, repentance might be people sometimes talk about their repentance. It's kind of like diets. You know, a lot of people talk about dieting, but they never do it. They talk about their exercise plans that they never do. And some people talk about their repentance and how far along they're coming, but they aren't. So you can talk about repentance, but not actually do repentance. Another thing that people do that I would say is peripheral, and this one might confuse you, so listen carefully. Some people do peripheral repentance by changing their behavior. Now, I told you that would confuse you, because isn't that what repentance is? Isn't repentance going one direction and turning around and going the other direction? Here's the problem. You can change your behavior without changing your heart. You can stop doing something because you're in danger of losing a relationship, but that's not necessarily a change of heart and mind. So that's a peripheral kind of repentance where it's not really a true repentance at all. So repentance must not be perfunctory where it's just going through the motions, no effort. It it must not be presumptuous where, in fact, you're not really repenting at all. You're just assuming, oh, God, he loves me. I'm forgiven. I'm under grace. It's fine. And it must not be peripheral, which is really not repentance at all. So what is it? Well, we're not going to get it much from the passage itself. God says, I want knowledge. I want covenant love. Okay, he does say that. Here's what it must be. It must be profound. Repentance must be profound. The first thing you need to do is you need to name your sin. You need to identify it. You you need to name it. Now, often you know exactly what it is yourself. But a lot of times people are around you to help you. We don't like it when somebody helps us. But a lot of times there are people that will identify your sin, a close relationship our conscience, the Holy Spirit. And what do you do when that happens? If your response is, I don't care, oh, that's a bad road. That's a very bad road. If your response is, I don't care, I'm going to do, that is refusing to repent. That is presuming upon grace. Many of us do that for a time. Do not stay there. Do not stay there. So if somebody points out a sin, if the Spirit points out a sin, and your response is, I don't care, you need to repent of that. 
That's a dangerous place to be. Now, the second thing, the particular sin that you see is often not actually the root. Now, I'm not suggesting we all become psychologists, but we often need to look underneath and say, what is driving that sin? What is wrong with my view of God? What is wrong with my view of myself? What is the warped thinking that I have? What's my wrong thinking? What's my wickedness? What's, what, is it pride? Is it anger? The need to control things? A lack of trust? A discontentment? What is going on? Maybe we do need to talk to somebody to figure out, why am I doing this? What do you think? That's hard. So it's profound because we actually need to identify, to be very clear, what am I doing? It hurts. It must be profound. Second, repentance is very personal. Repentance is personal. The Israelites don't really identify that they've offended God. When it comes to an individual, it's personal because we hurt that person. We need to apologize. Okay, we need to confess the sin. In many cases, if we can, we also need to make restitution. It's not always possible. It's not always appropriate. But if we can, what do I mean by that? Can we fix it? Is there something we can do to repair something? I understand sometimes that's not going to happen, but if we can. But all sins are against God. Whether it's something we do against somebody, it's also against God. A sin in our mind is against God. We need to realize our sin is personal against God. Now, we don't make restitution to God. We're not going to give him, we're not going to do penance to God to make up for the sin that we've done. Here's what we need to do. We need to ask the Lord, and this is extremely important. We need to ask the Lord to help us to hate the sin. If we don't have hatred of the sin, I don't mean self-hatred. If we don't see the sin and say, that is ugly. That sin is ugly. If we don't hate the sin, we will not get past it. Now, here's what often happens. Is people will disown the sin. They don't want to say that I'm capable of that. If we don't hate the sin, we won't get past that. You've seen in public confessions where there's been like um, a, a racial issue, bigotry, something like that, and, and somebody will say, that's not who I am. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Here's the problem. That is who they are. Here's the problem. We often have to get to the point where we say, you know what? There's much worse down there too. That is really hard to do. If I say, that's not who I really am, you know what you're doing is you're saying, I'm much better than that, and you don't get past it. But we need to be able to say, yeah, I am a sinner. That's why I need Jesus. But if you instead say, that was just a glitch. That was just a glitch in the system. I'm really much better than that. You'll never grow. You'll never get past that. Repentance says, yeah, I am a mess. 
I need a Savior. So own up to it. It's hard. It's hard. It's personal. My sin. I did it. I'm capable of that, and I'm capable of worse. Very personal. It's profound. It's personal. And repentance has got to be finally persistent. You've got to be persistent. Now, it does involve changing behavior. Let's take, for example, pornography. The statistics are horrendous, especially among men, but it's not only a male problem. But the statistics are horrendous. So even statistically, there are men sitting right here that are addicted to pornography, I have to assume. I don't like that, but I have to assume that that's the case. So if you are, and you're wanting to repent of that, one of the first things you usually have to do is to stop the behavior. And that sounds like it contradicts exactly what I said a little while ago. But that's one of the first things you've got to do is to get it out of your practice so that you can deal with the deeper issue. So if somebody's, you don't say, well, first I want to deal with my heart before I do anything. No, no. You get rid of the computer if necessary. And you put all the, all the guides, all the walls, all that you have to do, all the accountability. Get rid of the computer. Get rid of the smartphone if necessary. You have to be really, really strict about all those things so that you can't practice it. Then you go to the heart and mind as to why you do it. But you have to persist. You have to persist. Really work hard at it. Now, let's say you're dealing with issues of anger, of gossip, of greed. Those sins are really stubborn, aren't they? Those are sins that they they don't seem to go away either. And so often is we try, we repent, and it happens again. We try, yeah, rinse and repeat. We We need to repent, and we need to do it again and again and again. And many of us say, forget it. I'll just wait till heaven. Okay, that's wrong. That's wrong. Okay, we need to continue to repent. Go back to step one. Identify the sin. Realize why we're doing it. And not give up. And continue to fight that sin. And so it can be very frustrating. It can be very frustrating. And it would be if we were on our own. So the last point after we talk about what sin, what, what repentance is, in that it's profound, okay, in that it is personal and that it must be persistent, is true repentance is possible if we realize that we have the Spirit available to us. Is we have the Holy Spirit available to us because holy, the, the, repentance is only possible if, in fact, we are first convicted. The Holy Spirit's role in our life is to convict us, not to punish us. Um, I remember uh, being punished many times as a little boy, uh, being sent to my room or whatever, and, and I remember, you know, ask, can I come out of my room now? Um, and, of course, it was, well, have you learned your lesson? Oh, yes, yes, I'm reformed now. Uh, or, you know, are you going to hit your brother again? Oh, no, 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 no. But I just wanted to get out of my room. Okay, I had no intention of really stopping the behavior because, sure enough, if my brother irritated me again, I was going to hit him. Okay, but I just wanted to get out. And that is often what, that's what the Israelites are doing, right? We want to get out of the trouble we're in. Okay? That's not repentance. That's not conviction. Conviction says, I don't want to do this anymore. When you know Christ, the Holy Spirit moves in, and he starts 
convicting you and changing you. And that's what he does. So we're not on our own and saying, how do I make these changes? The Spirit is pointing things out to you and changing you. And you realize, I don't want to do these things anymore because they don't please the Lord. They don't please him. And you want to change because you love God. You love God, and you're not willing to continue in your sin. And so you won't make excuses. You won't defend yourself. So is the Spirit convicting you regularly? Are you repenting regularly? That's when you understand why Jesus had to die. So is repentance a regular part of your life? So new sacrifice is not needed because Jesus has already died. And in truth, you're already clean. But the repentance is acknowledging the work where sin is dying and you are becoming more and more like Christ every day and it hurts. It's painful. And it's slow. But that's life. That's the Christian life. Putting our sin to death and becoming more and more like Christ. So it's not something we need to do as much as a life that we live. You all know the story of Martin Luther nailing the 95 theses to the wall at Wittenberg. But how many of you know the first of the theses? Probably very few of you. The first of them, I can't quote it exactly, and it was in German anyway, and I'm not going to try that. But the first of them was when our Lord Jesus said that we should repent and believe the good news, he said that we must always be repenting. So life, it's, it's a constant repentance. Repenting all that, not just on Sunday when we do the confession of sin. It's a constant repentance. We're work in progress. Should we no longer care about sin in our life? Should we take God's sin Uh, take grace for granted and continue in sin, that's when we are in danger. You cannot rest in your sin and rest in Christ. You cannot do that. So have you been complacent? Look at your relationships. Husband, wife, parent, child, neighbor, friend, schoolmate. How are those relationships? How's your thought life? Do I really need to tell you things to look at, to repent of? Is the Spirit not working in your life to show you things? Are the things you're saying, I know that's wrong, but that's okay? No, it's not okay. And the Spirit wants to change us. So let's be repenters. That is the way we grow. Invite the Spirit to move in you. He brings power, resurrection power, to give you new life. But until then, fellow dummies... Repent daily, slowly, painfully, putting sin to death, growing in grace until at last we see him face to face. And then we'll be changed, perfected, all in an instant, never needing to repent ever again, because then we will be past sin. Let's pray. Great God and Father, we thank you for loving us in Jesus Christ and for sending him to die for every one of our sins, even the sins we've not yet committed. And yet we want 
to be repenters. There's nothing we can do to pay for these sins, and yet it's done in our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to be rightly sorrowful for our sins and rightly confident that our sins are paid for. Give us the right attitude. Help us to be good repenters that we would grow in holiness, that we would see your face, and that we we would celebrate the holiness that you have worked in us. We pray this in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.